Hello, and welcome back to the Annex. My name's Coy, and today I'm joined by Simon Chernin, and we're doing a little talking about the Italian mob in America. We were inspired by the upcoming film The Irishman with uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and directed by Martin Scorsese. And uh, Simon's a bit of a fan of Scorsese, as you'll hear. Uh, but of course, like all films based in reality, there's a little bit of some deviation. So we start off talking about that, grow into uh, other mob stories and how real they are, and then get into the real history of it. So sit back, enjoy Mob Talk with Simon Chernin. Okay, so I'm here with Simon Chernin once again. Hi, Simon. Hey, everybody. And uh, we're going to talk today about... I mean, we're inspired by the, the Irishman coming out. Most definitely. And I think we could also expand into just uh, gangsters on film and talking kind of about the realities of the mob and the mobsters that we see through film and maybe some of the real stories behind them. Well, I think that sounds fantastic to me. <laughs> and I'm very much looking forward to this film. I should say, as a disclaimer at the outset, that Martin Scorsese is my single favorite director of all time. Okay, so Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, Departed, Goodfellas. The list goes on. It goes on and on. Silence. I never saw that movie. That was the one about the uh, Jesuits in Japan. Oh, yeah, but uh, that one was a commercial flop, wasn't it? Yeah, I never saw it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see that either. All right, well, that was too bad that that didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, even great directors, including Steven Spielberg, have had flops, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Temple of Doom, Crystal Skull, uh, mm-hmm. the epic flop Jurassic Park 2. There was also one about World War II. Uh, it was a comedy about World War II. Oh, about some guy with a list? Uh, that was a Schindler. That was Schindler. That was Schindler. He had a hell of a list. Hmm. Uh, that movie got uh, quite a bit of critical acclaim. In fact, it's <laughs> AFI's uh, number nine movie of but Mr. Burns, the top 100 of all time. Schindler is... Uh... <laughs> you are El Diablo. Well, Schindler is well, Schindler is, is Bueno. bueno. <laughs> you are uh, El Diablo. <laughs> well, me and Schindler are peas in a pod. We're both industrialists. We both made shells for the Nazis, but mine worked. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously a classic scene from a classic episode of The Simpsons. Oh, I was going to say Family Guy. Um, Family Guy. No, it was just. <laughs> Just so we don't get copywritten. Uh, Fair enough. Coming after us. So, are you excited about this, uh, The Irishman? I have to say, I, I had no idea what the story was going to be about um, before I saw the first trailer. I didn't even realize that Scorsese was going to be doing a Netflix film. Uh, learned far after the fact that Scorsese moved to Netflix because the original studio didn't want to pay for the de-aging CGI, and Netflix was willing to throw it's like a hundred over a hundred million just for that really yeah really? so i mean this, maybe that's the reason it cost uh 260 million which is martin scorsese's most expensive movie to date yeah and i think well over half of that budget is just the de-aging process really yeah really eh? yeah wow which also indicates that uh it might be a lot of why didn't they hire lucasfilm and light <laughs> lucas good filming lights Yes, I thought they were pretty good in that movie, Star Wars. Yeah, more successful than their cousin, Residential Lighting. and. (laughs) 
Well, <laughs> well, they're quite good at what they do in various cities. I mean, it's a, still a five hundred million dollar company. Is it still? No, I just made that up. Okay, nice, nice. I like fake facts. Yes, seventy-eight yes. percent of facts are made up on the spot. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure where you got that number from, but uh, <laughs> people do make up a lot of stuff. So, so I'll say that much. Yeah, we'll you just can't, put you f- can't always trust what somebody says for sure. Yeah, you I should know. always double check. Definitely, like anything on this show that I or Coy say about a historical topic, for example, uh, I, I encourage. Uh, People to look it up and uh, correct us if uh, if we're if we're wrong. Well, I would amend that to say anything I say, look up because I'm probably speaking out of my ass. But uh, Chernin probably knows what he's talking about. Well, uh, I really wouldn't say that. Coy's uh, a very smart guy, and so you know we both have comments to say. But I encourage uh, our listeners to uh, look up, uh, you know, effectively any sort of uh, citation of a historical event or uh, fact. Well, speaking of that, and speaking of, you know, where the line between truth and fiction, reality, and just hearsay, the Irishman, <laughs> yeah, uh, how I about know. that for a transition? I know. I know. Um, the that's Irishman's a, based on a that's book. a good transition, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, the Irishman's based on a book, Do You Paint Houses, or is that the name? Is that the title? I believe it's Do You Paint Houses, yes. Which is this famous quote, which, of course, there's well, it, Well, it's about. a quote attributed to Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, who uh, contacted Frank Sheeran mm-hmm. and asked him that question in the sense that Hoffa, uh, as head of the Teamsters Union, did recruit a number of mobsters mm-hmm. uh, to assist in uh, effectively acting as a protection racket. And so Sheeran painted his house and that was the end of the story. <laughs> well, <laughs> that could very well actually have been the end of the story because uh, the facts of the story are in dispute. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the reality is that actually could have happened. And uh, Scorsese maybe, uh, you know, took some liberalizations with uh, Spinning yarn. the text of the book. Yeah. So I've read a number of articles. I've sent them to you uh, over mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. over our personal cellular devices. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> there are some articles that are saying that this uh, this book is based basically entirely in Sheeran, this guy, uh, estranged father to the pop singer. Yeah, that's him. Ed Sheeran? No? Different Sheeran. Who, who is Ed Sheeran? Ah, he's like a, he's like a famous Maybe I'm singer. out of the loop in terms of uh, pop culture. Isn't it Ed Sheeran? Yeah, it's Ed Sheeran. He's like a redhead. Well, he like sings cool songs. Yeah, well, that's the guy. Well, Frank Sheeran wasn't a redhead, and he looks a little bit different from this fella. Mm. So I'm not sure if they are related. Did but, he have a velvety smooth voice like Ed Sheeran? That we don't know. We don't know much about Frank Sheeran. Hmm. He's a bit of a mystery, except for this one book where he claims to have been involved in a number of different historical events. Well, I'm going to look at Ed Sheeran in a forest, in a, frankly, in a Forrest Gump-like manner. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So um, this book, the the big thing about that is that this book is uh, basically one source. Is well, the the people who refute the book say that it's based on basically just one source, which is Frank Sheeran himself, uh, basically um, confessing to all this stuff. Yes, and this wouldn't be the first time, by the way, that. Uh... An ex-mafia member has, you know, confessed, like, on their deathbed to have been involved in, say, the Kennedy assassination okay. or, or to have been involved in uh, other uh, major historical mob events. 
So I'm going to hold you that, to that. That had taken place in the past. I'm going to hold you to that Kennedy assassination. We're going to come back to that. Ooh, well, let's watch out for that because that's a black hole that I've studied for years and I can't crack it. And I really, really is bothersome. It's the <laughs> most complicated murder investigation in history. Wow. Well, it's, I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold on to that for a second. But just to stick with where we where we started from, Frank Sheeran, basically on his deathbed, he's in like an old hedge home, and he gets in. He has a bunch of interviews with this guy who ends up writing a book. The guy claims that he's done a lot of other research, obviously, to back it up. But mm-hmm. the main thrust of it is that he was the assassin in one of the biggest mob hits in American history? I'm, well, two that... of the biggest mob hits in American history. The killing okay. of Crazy Joey Gallo in 1972 and the murder of Jimmy Hoffa, I believe, in 1976. Although, maybe you could look that up just to confirm that exact date. Uh, when did Hoffa die? Yeah. Let's see. A quick Google search will tell me that uh, he disappeared in 1975. Oh, I said 76. Well, this is why people need to be looking things up for themselves. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Exactly. Agreed. That. So let's. I apologize to, to the audience for that. That was an embarrassing mistake. <laughs> and don't worry, we want to Simon back. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's completely understandable. If we want to cut this off right now, then we we could. Well, from yeah, just a, a few months off. I don't I don't trust you anymore. Fake news. Well, <laughs> well, I'm not trying to push fake news here. So tell me, tell me about these. Um, there's two big deaths. One's Jimmy Hoffa. One is I'm already blanking. Uh, well, there's Jimmy Hoffa. There's a death of Crazy Joey Gallo. Crazy. That was that's what his mother called him. Uh, that was what his nickname became. This was during the Colombo Wars of the early 1970s. Uh, Joe Colombo, who was head of, uh, at the time, was known as the Profaci crime family. Uh, mm-hmm. He invented the uh, Anti-Defamation League in terms of uh, Italian-Americans. He also founded the Columbus Day Parade, I believe. Uh, he did. He did. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was assassinated uh, at uh, one of these events. At Columbus Park in New York City, I believe. Yes, he was. Uh, the gunman was... Uh, was quite subsequently uh, early on was then shot dead by uh, Columbo's bodyguards. Like there on the spot? But it was really Gallo and his crew were the ones who wanted to take over the crime family. And so word went out about this that, you know, shoot Joey Gallo on sight and any members of his crew. Okay, so lay this out for me. So we have this guy, Columbo, who wasn't the cool detective from that old TV show. No, no, a different Columbo. Okay, but it's still a cool mobster. Who at one point, I think, put a hit out on um, the man who started the Late Show, the host of the Late Show. I'm not so sure about that. I'm pretty sure, but anyways, we can move on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I think I believe that's why NBC ended up covering the first Columbus Day Parade was actually because uh, they made a deal with the mob to to drop the hit on. Um, the guy who was before David Letterman. This is how young we are. But there was no late show before David Letterman. Yeah, what was it, uh, what's it, The Tonight Show? Uh, well, they had The Tonight Show, and, the, and then they had the show that was after The Tonight Show. But The Late Show was invented uh, by David Letterman to compete against... Um, this is, we're blanking on the name. Well, effectively, you had The Tonight Show uh, by Johnny Carson. That's it. Johnny Carson. Yeah, and Letterman uh, came on after Johnny Carson. Okay. 
And uh, after Johnny Carson decided to retire, there, there was really a kind of a war, effectively, uh, with uh, agents, uh, numerous uh, business executives, uh, mm -hmm. and other influencers in terms of who would take over The Tonight Show. And that's uh, when Conan O'Brien Jay Leno, uh, of no. course, and uh, David Letterman. Yeah. And uh, the studio eventually chose uh, Jay Leno. Right. And so Letterman went over to CBS without leaving NBC. Uh, to create the Late Show. There you go. So what I had heard was that Carson actually—it's actually a very, very interesting story. We can save that for another podcast. But it's yeah, but, well, but, but it's a great war in terms of who would take over the Tonight Show. Well, let's stick to some more of the mob wars, of course, as opposed of to you know, battling with pen and paper. Let's let's talk battling <laughs> yeah, with certainly, certainly with uh, you know revolvers and and cold forty fives or whatever they had. Um, so we have we have uh, Columbo. Who's one of the heads of these? Uh, oh, he's one of the heads of the five New York crime one families. Of five New York crime families, and Gallo, who is he's a head of another one. Is that right? No, Gallo was a member of the Profanti crime family, so the same crime family, same one. Okay. Yes. So it's like this kind of coup was the idea. Yes, uh, most uh, mob wars, uh, with the exception of the Castamalese war in the 1930s, most mob wars in the United States really are internal wars. Okay. Like, it's really only in, say, The Godfather you see these wars between the families. Mm -hmm. That doesn't take place. That's because it's too dangerous getting the cops involved, or why, why is that? Uh, it's just because they don't go to war against one another because they have different business interests. They have shared business interests. It's usually jealousy within the family. It's people mm -hmm. wanting power within, within the family, right? right? Right. It's more feasible to move up than to try to take over from the other family. Yes, like yes, that. and also, you know, there's the danger of uh, going after another family. You could get, you know, a hit put on you. Right. And you wouldn't want that. Of course, you could still get a hit put on you if you go to war and you're within your own crime family as well. As what happened with Gallo, we're seeing. Yes, yes, uh, as, as what happened with Gallo. I mean, Gallo was effectively a dead man after Columbo was shot. And did he, and so so everyone thought he was behind it, and, and has history taught us, for the most part, what you know is that Gallo and his people were behind it, or... Is this kind of just, um, was this misinformation that was used? Maybe uh, by... Gallo and his people were almost certainly behind it. Okay. Yes, yes. And uh, that's how he got the nickname Crazy Joe, in the sense that he was trying to take over an entire crime family. Which is a crazy move. Uh, which is a crazy move, certainly. certainly. Okay. And uh, he eventually, uh, a few months uh, after the shooting, uh, went to Umberto's Clam House. One of my faves. Uh, have you been there? No. Well, it's actually a really good restaurant in Little Italy. Is it still? In New York City. It's still open. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, he went there for his birthday. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody there uh, recognized him, uh, mm -hmm. made a phone call to some Colombo associates. Mm -hmm. And those associates subsequently came in and uh, took him out. Okay. It was about three or four guys, not one guy, not one Irishman. Which is what, going back to this book, what the book says, it was uh, Sheeran just walked yes, in himself. Yes, yes, And so, like, effectively, like, the, the way I'm looking at this whole Sheeran story is it's like, it's Forrest Gump-like. Like, is he saying, like, earlier that he was involved effectively in training missions, which eventually, in, you know, in uh, Florida with Cubans to uh, invade Cuba. Right, say, say during the Bay of Pigs, say during the Bay of Pigs invasion, mm -hmm. uh, and that this spun out of control to the point where you know they ended up assassinating JFK, and that what he argues is that it was a mafia hit. Well, that's highly controversial as to whether that was a mafia hit 
So not. JFK, or sorry, so Sheeran argues that the JFK assassination was a mob hit. Very much so, yes. Hmm. Uh, JFK uh, may not have been elected without the mob because Illinois uh, was handed over to him by the hmm. mob uh, through their union influence. Okay. Uh, this is Chicago, Illinois, right? right? And uh, Illinois was handed over to him in the Electoral College, uh, largely through the basis of uh, his father, JFK's father, uh, and uh, his reaching out to various uh, organized crime figures. Hmm. Uh, and they, you know, kind of didn't didn't cheat, but effectively got all their union members to vote for Kennedy. Right. So they used their power. Yes. Uh, Within but, the legitimate field. But but then subsequently, when JFK came into power, his brother, uh, Robert F. Kennedy, was appointed attorney general and mm. went after organized crime in a manner that nobody had ever gone after organized crime. Really? He was calling hearing after hearing, absolutely, embarrassing major organized crime figures. Okay. Who okay. were having to plead the fifth, all this kind of stuff, finally bringing them to light, if you will. And, okay. and, uh, and, uh, and uh, one of his major targets, of course, was Jimmy Hoffa. The head of the Teamsters Union, the largest union in the United States at the time. So just take a pause here for a definition of terms. Teamster. Mm-hmm. What, are, what, what does that mean? I've, I've heard it a lot. It's always associated with mobs Well, somehow. Teamsters is the international brotherhood of Teamsters. And it's effectively a large-scale union. At one point, it was the largest union in, in the United States. Today, that's the AFL-CIO. Okay. Uh, but uh, at the time, uh, it had... Nearly two million members, uh, and it, it was it was it was mainly kind of truckers and movers and uh, other blue collar jobs were got involved in this union as well. So Teamster was this kind of blanket term to describe the members of the union, the workers. Well, 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 well. well I mean, it, it, the the name of the organization was called the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, so they could call themselves Teamsters, if you will. So it was part of their official title. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Hoffa rose to become head of the Teamsters Union. Uh, at an early age, uh, he was a great organizer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at 18, 19, like at a very young age, wow. he, was a, he was a great organizer. We're talking early 60s or late 50s, maybe? Earlier. 40s. Uh, 30s. Pre-war. Yeah, 30s and 40s, I believe. Okay. Okay. And, you know, eventually rose up the ranks mm-hmm. and uh, eventually took over the Teamsters Union. Okay. Uh, but okay. the thing is, is that... Uh, at the time, you had these unions, and then you had management and companies. Mm-hmm. And during strikes, for example, and in other intimidation tactics, these companies would hire effectively goons, right, mm-hmm. to attack striking workers or those on picket lines. And okay. so, in order to be able to protect themselves, Hoffa and others made a deal with the devil, the mob. Oh, so so if I'm getting this right, Hoffa was uh, rose up to the ranks to become the head of this union of blue collar workers and people who were under the term Teamsters, mm-hmm. um, the Teamster Union, and because of the kind of corruption going on in America at the time, when the Teamsters were on strike, there would be people coming in to beat them up to kind of force them, scare them back to work. And to uh, protect themselves, Hoffa had to actually make a uh, uh, And also in terms of preventing them from organizing in the first place, right? Like, you know, they might show up saying, you know, we want to organize this factory. Right. And then goons would come out and beat up people who were, you know, acquiescing to that. Oh, so even trying to, say, get a factory into a union. Sure. Okay. Sure. Oh, uh-huh. yes. Oh, yes. 
Okay. And so, you know, they effectively made a deal with these mobsters, but the power of the mobsters grew and grew. Right. You can never make a deal with the mob if they uh, are interested in what you No, have. no, no, no. You certainly, you certainly can't. Uh, and the mob, and uh, in, in addition to be able, in, uh, in addition to being able to threaten strikes mm-hmm. for various projects, right? Like say, like effectively extortion. Mm-hmm. By saying, you know, your project's not going to go ahead because we're going to have our teams through strike, right? Unless you pay us this amount of money. Interesting. So it went from it went from protecting them while they're on strike to saying we can use these strikes as a weapon for yes. Okay. But oh, but the biggest benefit of all, the mm-hmm. biggest benefit of all, and what built Las Vegas was the Teamsters pension fund. All Teamsters have to pay into the pension fund. Uh-huh. The pension fund invests their money. Okay. Right to pay off the teamsters' pensions once they retire at a certain age. Similar to how the Toronto School Teachers Union sure. was a major investor in the Toronto Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. Sure, the, yes, the number yes, one controlling. Yes. That 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 that, Maple is, that that is that is absolutely correct. Uh, cool. Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. Yes. Yeah, they're no longer, I think. Uh, but I mean, you know, effectively they're investing, you know, money for profit, mm-hmm. and uh, the gangsters, uh, you know really use this as a piggy bank to build Las Vegas. Interesting. Like if you see the movie Casino, for example, uh-huh. those major casinos were bankrolled by the Teamsters Pension Fund. And is that because it was like a legitimate form of money, almost like a uh, yes. laundering yes. method? Yes. Wow. Because the fact is the Teamsters could say, well, you know, we think building casinos is a good investment. Which it arguably is which it which it can be not mm-hmm. not to Donald Trump for example but certainly <laughs> cer- certainly to others who know how to run businesses not to incompetent gangsters <laughs> <laughs> yes okay. uh, but uh Jimmy Hoffa so Hoffa ended up becoming the head of the national union yes he did okay wow and eventually he was convicted i think it was in 1967 Okay. Of fraud and... Basically corruption? Fraud and I think tax evasion. Ah, the classic anti-mob. And uh, so he was sentenced to a 13-year prison term. Okay. Uh, He didn't serve the full term, uh, but... um, Improper use of the Teamsters Pension Fund. He was actually convicted for, for that. Later the same year, he was convicted for fraud. Yeah, uh, so uh, he became uh, head of the National Union. Eventually, mm-hmm. was convicted, as we're talking about. He was sent to prison, mm-hmm. and uh, he thought that uh, his number two man that he appointed was yeah. a loyalist to him. Okay, but it turns out that he wasn't, and that he really wanted to take over the Teamsters himself. And who was this man? This was an in the interim uh, head of the Teamsters Union. What was his name? It's a good question. I'm not recalling it right now. Okay, you can look it up on the computer. Well, we can keep going. Uh, he was an Irishman. <laughs> he wasn't... Uh, uh, you know, he wasn't the Irishman from the film, but uh, he was... He Fitzsimmons. Was, Fitzsimmons. That's but, our but, name. But, but, but he, well, he was Irish. Frank Fitzsimmons is acting Teamsters president. Yes. He was a loyalist, fellow Detroit resident. I'm just reading off Wikipedia, so, you know, this is obviously yes. correct. And so Fitzsimmons, uh, the thing is, is that the Mafia, the reason why they didn't want Hoffa back was because Hoffa kind of had enough power and influence that he could say no to the mafia from time to time mm. as opposed to Fitzsimmons who was who would acquiesce to whatever demands that they wanted 
And so in terms of the use of the uh, pension plan, for example, Fitzsimmons just let them go at it, if you will. Interesting. Uh, And so that's why they didn't want Hoffa back. They wanted someone, you know, be more... Controllable. Yes, who'd be more controllable. Okay. Uh, And so that's why when Hoffa was released from prison, shortly thereafter, he disappeared. So what's interesting here is that um, less than five years into his 13-year sentence, once again, this is from the extremely uh, accurate wikipedia.org um hoffa was released from prison because president richard nixon commuted his sentence to time served and hoffa was awarded a pension of 1.7 million delivered in a one-time lump settlement and uh there is some allegations that uh as much as a million dollars was paid secretly to nixon well, I'd have to look into that independently. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't have any comment on it just because I don't have any awareness of those facts. Not, mm-hmm. not, not, not that I'm disputing that uh, something that that some sort of impropriety took place. Sure. But I can't, I can't, I can't comment if I just don't have the facts. No, of course. I'm just, I'm, I just pulled it up. Um, okay, so we have, we have uh, Hoffa's in control of the Teamsters. He's kind of put in jail for a little while. He does get out. Um. But once he gets out, he's only out for about four years before he disappears. Uh, he's assumedly trying to get some power back, but is well, he, well, he's effectively trying to take over the Teamsters Union again. Right. Okay. Yes. Uh, and the Moab didn't want that. They wanted Fitzsimmons in charge. Okay. Okay. And right, the Provenzanos. Is that what? No. Was that the the mob that we're talking about? Uh, Provenzano, I think, is just the name of an in, of an individual gangster. Okay. Uh, he was a high ranking member of the Teamsters. Okay. So I saw that in the film. Nice. So we have um. So then Sheeran, the guy who paints houses, mm-hmm. he supposedly was in. He became kind of friends with uh, with Hoffa with Jimmy. Yes, Hoffa? yes. Uh, he supposedly was an associate of Hoffa. Okay. Uh, they may have been considered to be friends, maybe close friends. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but someone who Hoffa certainly would have trusted. Right. Yes. Uh, and so, in terms of uh, you know, Hoffa famously getting into the car outside. What was the name of the restaurant? The Red Roof Restaurant, I think it might have been called, or something. Similar. Red Fox. Yeah. The Red Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he probably only would have gotten into the car uh, if there was somebody there who he trusted. Right. Because uh, he knew that he was in danger at that time. Right. Like, like, he certainly knew that he was in danger at that time. Okay. Uh, and so he wouldn't have gone to a car with someone who, you know, with, with just, with just uh, you know, a, a couple of gangsters in the back who he had never sure. met before. And they're just driving off somewhere, right? Yeah, you know that that's your last drive. Yes. Uh, but, you know, there's really no evidence uh, at all uh, to indicate that it was Sheeran who was in the car. Mm. <laughs> there's, there's just simply nothing whatsoever. So what else do we have? Um, we've so we kind of Sheeran says he's responsible for a gallow. Yes, and that was a response. That was a retributive, a vengeance killing for Joe Colombo. And I should also mention that the gallow hit is one of the most famous hits in mob history. Like mm. it truly is, like you know, amongst like the most famous hits in Umberto's Glamos ever, ever. Right. Now, what makes it so famous? Uh, he was finally getting Joey Gallo, basically, in front of his family. And so everyone, everyone in the, 
uh, in the mob community or everyone uh, kind of wanted it, this guy? It, it, he was also or? killed at a very well-known restaurant. Uh, and so like a well-known popular restaurant in front of everybody. Okay. And so, you know, therefore it became mob lore about this famous hit that they finally got crazy Joe Gallo. Extremely who started crazy. A, who started a war within the family. Mm, he wanted, he wanted of control of the Colombo family. At the time, the Profaci family. Okay. Later on called the Colombo family. And then was that kind of the, did that end that that attempted coup or that yes. internal war? Yes. Yes, yes, it did. Okay. It did. The Columbos went to war again in the early 1990s, but that's a different story. Okay. So, so we have this, um, we have this gallow shot at the clam restaurant, uh, which Sheeran claims he actually was the one who did it. Although there is also a lot of evidence, it seems, from people who were there that it was a bunch of short Italian men, not a single tall Irishman. Yes, uh, that's what that's what the witnesses say. So that's According the, the to the biggest. book, there's one witness who said it was a you know taller, handsome gentleman who came in and did the hit. Mm-hmm. But all the but all the other witnesses said it was multiple shorter persons who came in and handled this, and that makes that makes the most sense, by the way. Right, uh, because you know they find because you know they finally found Joey Gallo, right, who was being hunted. Yeah, and so they send in a hit team immediately to take him out. Right, they're not going to risk just one. guy. They're not going to risk just kind of one guy going in there like that. Right, right, and they control the neighborhood probably, anyways. Sure, there's not to mention they didn't know who Joey Gallo was with necessarily. Right, he could have been with other people. So sending in one man, that's a mm-hmm. like it, does, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Right, it doesn't make sense. What if Joey Gallo was there with a few of his guys? It would have been a whole shootout. It could have been a whole shootout. Yeah. So, you know, claiming that he was part of that, like, you know, that, like, that's part of mob lore there, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like that's really inserting yourself almost in a Forrest Gump-like way right. into, you know, a very famous event in mob history. It was me. <laughs> yes, yes. And so, like, I, I, simply, I simply just don't believe that. Okay. And, and in terms of the gallo, the idea... Uh, in terms of Jimmy Hoffa, the idea was that uh, Sheeran claims to have been in the car as a as someone to alleviate his tension, so that he would get in the car without a fight. Sure, That's the idea. Sure, uh, and Sheeran is someone who uh, could have been, been that person. Could could theoretically have been that person in the sense that he was someone who Hoffa would have trusted. Mm-hmm. Yes, but then again, there's just simply just no evidence at all that. He was in the car that day. Nobody, right. nobody else has said that. And then, in terms of his story of you know, bringing him out to this like kind of house, and they open up the door, and then they shoot him in the head. I mean, this reminds me of Goodfellas. Like it just, it just strikes me as not true. And they didn't even find him, did they? Like no one's found Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Oh, it's one of the most famous uh, disappearances in American history. He's fully disappeared. There's still one FBI agent who works on the case, uh, but uh, wow. But um, it, it, it's considered one of the, well, sort of great mysteries of American history in the 20th century. Who killed Who killed Jimmy Hoffa? And, and where where is the body? Right. Because, because, it, because it was simply never solved. And Jimmy Hoffa was a very, very, very famous public figure. Right. His name His name is uh, recognized. Even... Even for someone as young as as myself, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've heard the name. I remember. I think that was the weirdest thing about watching the trailer for me was 
I don't know any of this stuff offhand like you do, but you know, they were like, "Oh, Jimmy Hoffa." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I know that. I like that name. Sounds familiar. Who was that guy again?" Um, so his name still kind of rings through American history. Oh, oh, sure, sure. I mean, he was the head of the biggest uh, union in the country, and of course, famously uh, disappeared. And so, initially, when he disappeared, you know, people thought, "Well, maybe he was kidnapped. Maybe he's still alive." Eventually, people concluded, obviously, he must be dead. Right. But they never found the body. They simply never found the body. Wow. But I mean, that's that's not too too surprising. I mean, you know, the mob could have just whacked him over the head in the car, put him in the trunk, and mm. drove him off somewhere. And hundred uh, ways to get rid of a body, and, and like that sort of that. Right. Right. And so we were also talking about um, right before we started recording, we were talking about uh, that opening scene in The Godfather with Marlon Brando and uh, Abruzzi. The uh, his his uh, lower in command, I guess, guy. Slightly well, actually, slow. he was actually he was his chief enforcer, Luca Brazzi. Luca Brazzi, okay. And you were telling you're about to tell me the, the kind of real story behind him. I was oh, inspired. Or oh maybe? well, 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 well it, it's not really a real story, just because the whole uh, Godfather is fictional. I mean, it's, it's based right, on, no, it's, it's based off books by Mario Puzo. Mm-hmm. But in the original, but in the original Godfather uh, during the Casta Malese War of the 1930s. Uh, um, the Godfather uh, was uh, Vito Corleone uh, was uh, was shot at one point and survived, and mm-hmm. Luca Brasi uh, went on a killing spree and killed seven people uh, okay. in retribution. Oh wow! Uh, in the sense that this is a very loyal, loyal person. He's the one who's sleeping with the fishes, famously. Eventually, he was the one who was sleeping with the fishes. It's an old Italian message. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so they, because they delivered. Uh, this was after he was killed. Um, it was his uh, bulletproof vest was uh, sent over in a package with a fish in it. That's what it was. Yeah. Just yeah. A simple. Yeah. Yeah. He was killed. Message. He was killed by the Italia family. So. I'm going to zoom out a little bit here because this is something that's always interested me and in, in this thing, uh, kind of American mob, which bleeds over, I suppose, into Canada as well. The Godfather is such a famous piece of cinema and it's based on oh, it's great. a great book. Uh, obviously, it's a fictionalized account, but it's um, largely based on a lot of uh, information and research by the author Puzo, right? Um but it also is, in a way, romanticized and kind of created a fictional narrative whereby other people, including gangsters, kind of created their own history or said that is what our history is. It kind of formalized um, what was not necessarily um, as cohesive as he made it seem. Sure. I've heard. Sure. Um and I mean, famously, not to say anything about, you know, it's it's famously loved by lots of people, I, I think. Um, LeBron James has said it's one of his favorite movies. He watches it constantly because uh, it's a movie about power and about loyalty. Uh, Jay-Z has about... said the same thing. Many people have said the same thing. Right. AFI put it number three on their top 100 movies of all time in 2007. Yeah, so they're not alone. And in, then, in when they re- then when they redid the list in 2017, 10 years later, mm-hmm. they moved it up to number two. Oh, wow. Who did it pass? Which movie did it pass? Casablanca. Casablanca dropped a spot. Casablanca dropped the spot for in favor of the Godfather. And Casablanca even has one of the greatest mob lines in history. There are some places in New York, 
I wouldn't invade if I were you. Well, that's a great line. <laughs> yeah, great. It's one of the best lines. Of the, it's one of the best lines in a movie. And it's also the way Rick says it too, which yeah. is so nonchalantly. Yeah. Yeah, to carry out to uh, Major Strasser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New York's always been a little rough. Um, so you have the kind of the golden age there uh, of the mob, which was being referenced about in The Godfather in the 30s and the, the turn of the century. And then by the 40s, one of the things that I loved the most, one of my favorite stories of the mob is how they were, truth, from what I understand, fully, um, I guess you could say, hired or contracted by the U.S. Navy to protect the Navy yards in Brooklyn? Well, they were effectively contracted by the U.S. government in the sense that it, it, it wasn't so much that they were... <sighs> Lucky Luciano was in prison at the time. He was the most powerful uh, gangster in the world. Okay. Right? In uh, the Western world. And, and effectively, as part of a deal that was organized, mm-hmm. uh, he agreed that uh, if they would let him out of prison and deport him to Italy... Okay. Uh, that uh, he would have uh, his men uh, in the Gen- in what would later became known as the Genovese crime family. It really should have been known as the Luciano crime family because they're okay. still the Rolls Royce of crime families today. They're the only one really? that's actually still intact. Oh, wow. And the only one without a number of defectors that have destroyed, say, the Gambino family, the Colombo family, the Bananos, everybody else. Really? They're the only one still really in business. Wow. The only uh, Italian one. Yes, on yes, yes, yes. East sure, Asian sure. and the, what is it, the, the uh, triads and the oh, oh well, well, I mean, well, I mean, whole different. Well, I mean, you know, you got uh, Yakuza. the Russian gangsters. I mean, mm-hmm. like you know, there's all there's all sorts of different uh, organized crimes groups. I mean, including the Mexican mafia, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably the most powerful organized crime group in the United States overall. Okay, uh, but. Um, but the Genovese we're talking about, Luciano um, negotiating a release and return to Italy. Yes, uh, and, as, and as part of that, uh, you know, they uh, agreed to uh, protect the docks because they controlled the docks against Nazi saboteurs and spies. Right, we're talking about, this is anyone who can even look at a map of, of New York. It's on, it's in Brooklyn. It separates the north and south part of Brooklyn because uh, it's a huge area. Um, it's now no longer, I think, Navy Yards. Now it's kind of this mixed-use industrial commercial area. Totally. But at the time, totally. it was fully the Navy Yards, and that's where a lot of the Navy ships would be leaving the East Coast. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, in terms of uh, the Merchant Marine, there was uh, shipping of goods, every, mm-hmm. everything, right? So, I mean, these docks had to be protected. Mm-hmm. They were controlled by the mob. The U.S. <laughs> government knew they were controlled by the mob, and so cut a deal with the mob, effectively. It's amazing. Because uh, at the, the end of the day, they're patriots as well, right? Uh, that's actually some of that, that, that. They actually said that right back to the U.S. government. They said, well, you know, we're also patriots as well. Don't worry. We'll help protect the dogs. Right. And uh, they did a very good job at that. I'm sure. A very good job at that. <laughs> I can't name an example of them catching a Nazi saboteur or a spy. But the fact is, is that uh, it's possible that there were spies or saboteurs who were deterred by... Mm-hmm. These gangsters controlling the docks. And the fact is, they knew everyone down there. And so if somebody shows up with some German accent or something, it's like, well, who is this guy? Even if they didn't. I mean, it, just being a, just being someone who wasn't known. Sure. All of a sudden. Sure. And, and it's going to be hard for for the, any Axis power to, uh, to turn any of those local guys 
and we're mobsters. So, I mean, you can kind of, uh, you know, look at that as a... Well, I mean, one example, maybe maybe the only real example of uh, the mob providing the benefit to the United States, I guess, with the exception right. of pe- keeping people uh, liquored up uh, during uh, during uh, mm-hmm. prohibition. During uh, prohibition, of course, right? People like to drink. I mean, that was just one of the ones that it was a you know it was a world war quite literally, and it was just amazing to see um, how the the New York Italian mob. You know, they chose their allegiances uh, as American ahead of um, anything else. Sure. I, just, I found that very, I sure. always find that very interesting. Yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, they're Americans, they're, they're New Yorkers before they're they're against the government. They're, That's they're very true. They don't the want Nazis. Nazi saboteurs and spies coming in either. You have to win this war. Yeah. They don't want things getting blown up or people getting killed or, like, you know, their property getting damaged. And so, no, they're going to, you know, take measures to increase security at the docks. <laughs> Amazing. Crazy story. Yeah, definitely. In fact, Luciano, once he was deported to Italy, mm-hmm. uh, the American government uh, reached out to him again yeah. uh, to help him kind of spread propaganda and use his power and influence. Because he's already known as one of the world's most powerful mobsters, not just in New York. Okay. Right, that during the American invasion of Italy, to kind of help out, like he facilitated their invasion. You know, tell the people, you know, don't fight back. Wow, the Americans are cool. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and Italy did switch sides soon after the Americans landed, right? I mean, fairly soon. Uh, they they sure did. They sure did. Which is incredible. But I guess a lot. I mean, even my ancestors are from southern Italy, and it'd be kind of crazy to be. You have a lot of these Italian kids landing in towns near where their fathers and grandfathers left only a generation ago. Sure. And all of a sudden, it's like you're fighting Americans, but you're also kind of fighting your own people. It would have been tough for the Italians to... Oh, oh, oh sure, sure. Uh, the Italians didn't uh, put up much of a fight, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Germans eventually uh, had to bail them out. Effectively, this was still where this is. This was still while uh, Mussolini was in charge, right? And then you know, before they hung him and walked him to the streets as he deserved, as he deserved, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mussolini was a fascist uh, and the murderer, and he also destroyed a huge amount of um, artifacts, which I had no idea until I was in Rome a little while ago. Is that right? I didn't know that. Massive, because he was this whole part of part of fascism at the time um, was this kind of moving forward into a new, brave new world. I hate that when they destroy old stuff for and, that sort of uh, reason. Yeah, he took a huge number of statues and uh, artifacts from Rome, and just like had them ruined, had them entirely destroyed. So Rome pre Mussolini. Uh, had even more history to it, which is incredible to think, because uh, it's still uh, an ancient city. Right, right. But before Mussolini, it was uh, even more so. Well, it's a darn shame. I've been to Rome. It's a beautiful city. I loved yeah. seeing the historical artifacts, but it would have been nice to see even more. Yeah, it's wild. I did complain at one point that you know I enjoyed the historical artifacts, but you know there could have been a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Am I the only one here who thinks there could be more? <laughs> the Colosseum was nice, but is there not a second one? <laughs> I mean, what if you had to see a concert one night and a gladiator fight the same night? What are you going to do? You know how hard it is to turn that place over? 
It's very or <laughs> to get a matinee group in and then out for the evening show. Exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's that's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Exactly what I'm talking about. Well, that's one thing the Romans could do. They could fill coliseums. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. But jumping way back to the Irishman, mm-hmm. I should say that despite the fact that I don't believe Sheeran's story, yeah, uh, I'm still very much looking forward to the movie. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm still very much looking forward to the movie. Well, in, the, in the sense that I think it'll still be very well done. It's Martin Scorsese, after all. Mm-hmm. The cast is incredible. De Niro, Pacino. Uh, they spent a fortune on it. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm willing to kind of suspend my disbelief for the purposes of this film. Similar to The Departed, for example, which uh, was not realistic at all. And it was kind of loosely based, The Departed, or... Did they try to say it was an actual true story? Uh, the, well, the Jack Nicholson character was loosely based off of uh, Whitey Bulger, mm-hmm. uh, a Boston criminal. Okay. Uh, who was also an FBI informant. And, uh, the, right, which is the kind escaped. of twist of, of The Departed itself. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, you know, uh, it, it was effectively a fictional film. Right. It was actually based off of a Japanese film. Really? Yes. Well, okay. Do you know which one? I don't. I, I don't recall. Okay. This is when the audience can use their Google. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. And we encourage you to do so. Please. <laughs> Interesting. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But I have heard that a lot of films, I mean, was it The Hunger Games? Although that is a book series, there is the um, Battle Royale movie that I've actually seen. I don't know if you saw that with us. It's a very disturbing black and white Japanese film where they have a bunch of kids doing a battle royale to the death. Huh. Um, basically, it's The Hunger Games. It's just much scarier. I see. And I've even heard that um, Reservoir Dogs is based on a, a Japanese film, but I haven't, I haven't confirmed that. I wouldn't so be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised that Quentin Tarantino often uh, pays homage uh, mm-hmm. to. Uh, classical films including classical foreign films yeah uh so i I wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised about that Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah reservoir dogs that was an okay movie acceptable i actually really liked it i haven't seen in a while though i thought it was good i thought it was good it was a great introduction for people to to his style right this kind of verbiose tarantino yeah 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 no it's it's true I suppose maybe part of the the issue is that uh, it's just his second major release of uh, Pulp Fiction is just so good that perhaps mm-hmm. it sort of takes away a little bit from Reservoir Dogs. I guess just because I found Pulp Fiction to be effectively a perfect movie, uh, as opposed to Reservoir Dogs, where there were some flaws, but still a very entertaining film. Well, Reservoir Dogs is also done so cheap that a lot of the actors had to use their own clothing as costume. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, like he had no budget. Really? And, um, I mean, there's a great, uh, what is it, Bill Simmons has this podcast series called The Rewatchables, where they talk about some great films, and they go into some half-assed internet research corner or something like this. (laughs) So I haven't done my own research, but I just listened to this uh, podcast of Bill Simmons on The Ringer. You know, check it out for anyone listening. Um, But, uh, yeah, they were kind of saying that uh, some of the actors had to use their own clothing, and they were positing and kind of thinking about whether the reason we don't see 
the heist was because they just didn't have the budget. And if he had the budget, Reservoir Dogs might have been a very different film. Quite possibly. Quite mm-hmm. possibly. I mean, I, I mean, it was mainly a set-piece film. Yeah. It, was, it was mainly set in that... Uh, Hangar or garage. It was mainly set in the garage, which yeah. was uh, you know, the place where the gangsters were to meet up after the heist. Yeah, which is an empty place where they could film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but def- definitely not a bad movie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, because it kind of, in a weird way, and I haven't thought about this before, but in a weird way, Tarantino's kind of like a dark, ultra-violent, twisted version of Woody Allen. Like, these, like, long takes and huge, wordy dialogue scenes, but then instead of sexual comedy, he has extremely graphic violence. Oh, perhaps so. Perhaps so. He does have extremely graphic violence. Mm Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. definitely for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, coming back to the timeline of um, American Mob, there is this, in, in the Godfather movies, they say that it's kind of the, the birth of Las Vegas, which represents a big turning point in terms of le- legitimizing the money of, the, not only the money that they held, but the, the income that they would get. Um, from these mobs, they left the Italian mobs left New York largely and moved to Nevada, and then well, they they stayed in New York, mm-hmm. uh, but they had their interest in Nevada. Okay, and it was actually mainly the Chicago outfit actually that had the most interest in uh, Nevada. Mm. Like the like the Chicago outfit, uh, like unlike New York, which has five crime families, yeah, Chicago just has one. <laughs> Okay. And so, really, it's effectively the most powerful single crime family in the United States. Mm. And and to kind of skip right to the, the the meat of the question is what happened? Because you went, you had these five families and massive amounts of power. One family in Chicago, as you say, um, with huge amounts of power and influence up mm-hmm. until and including the '60s and the '70s. Well, what what really happened was the FBI. Uh, the uh, after J. Edgar Hoover never admitted during his lifetime that the mafia existed. Uh, a lot of people argue that the mafia had a compromise on him, mm-hmm. in the sense that uh, he's largely known to have been gay. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's. At the time, it was a big but, 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 but I mean, it's mafia lore that like Meyer Lansky and other major criminals mm-hmm. like had photographs of him with other men. Okay, and this was something that at the time he couldn't have public, being a president or. A- uh, and 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 this was something that uh, well, well, he would have had to resign from from the from the bureau. Hmm. So this was before he was president. Jager Hoover. I'm thinking of someone else then. No, I'm thinking of, I was thinking of, yeah. So explain to me, explain to us who Hoover was. Well, Jager Hoover was the head of the FBI uh, for many, many years. He was the he was the first appointed head of the FBI and served until his death. And is the dam named after this same man? Uh, that's named after President Hoover. That's where my confusion was. <laughs> that's where my confusion was. Not related? Related? Not related. Okay. Not related. Okay. That's where my confusion came. Yes, uh, but uh, after Hoover passed away, the FBI really took a hard look at organized crime and went after them in a uh, well, pretty hardcore fashion. I mean, they formed teams specifically to go after each one of the New York crime families, to go after the Chicago outfit, 
mm-hmm. to go after the patriarchal crime family. What's that uh, one? Uh, that is a crime family that is based uh, near Boston. Okay. Uh, and uh, other uh, members of kind of the national network of Italian organized crime. Mm. And so the FBI went after these guys very, very hard in terms of, uh, you know, tapes, right, that sort of thing. Wiretapping and such. Wiretapping, uh, all sorts of different techniques, like, you know, wired, like, you know, Anthony Ducks Carollo, uh, the head of the Lucchese family, they were able to wiretap uh, the inside of his car. Mm. Uh, because uh, they were watching him for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and he always had two guys outside of the restaurant and stuff watching the car. Uh-huh. And one time it was raining, and so they left. Oh, wow. And the FBI ran in there immediately, and within 10 minutes they installed the equipment. Oh, wow. Uh, that's often the way these things work. In fact, when Big Paul Castellano, uh, the powerful head of the Gambino family, okay. uh, the most he was the most powerful, uh, he was eventually assassinated by John Gotti, and one of the most famous hits of all time. Of course. Okay. Uh, but uh, Big Paul Castellano, uh, his uh, the phone in his kitchen where he conducted business mm-hmm. uh, was uh, wiretapped, basically, because uh, the FBI shut off service to the home okay. and sent in a repairman. Who was actually and uh, his agent. And, uh, and uh, his number two uh, was staring at the repairman. This is Thomas Bellotti, mm-hmm. later became a capo in the family. Wow. Was staring at the repairman the whole time as he fixed the phone. Yeah. But he still managed to put in the device. Wow. Like, that's how good these guys are. Right. And or how uneducated these mobsters were. Sure, sure. But, but you know, you got to give a lot of credit to the FBI in the sense that Big they... risk. In the sense that they can break they can break any alarms. They can break into anything mm-hmm. they want to. Like, wow. they, these guys are very, very good. Let's just grab that tangent. So, Gotti killed Castellano, is this it? Well, outside of Spark Steakhouse in 1985, it's one of the most famous hits in mob history. Right, right, right along there with the hit at Alberto's Clam House of Crazy Joe Gallo. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, Big Paul was uh, yeah, pulled up. Uh, he was to meet uh, with his consigliere. Mm-hmm. And uh, the consigliere was in on the plot. Classic. And uh, when he pulled out of his car... Um, Four men uh, wearing uh, Russian-style hats and big coats mm-hmm. approached the vehicle because they all looked the same. This way, witnesses would be like, "Well, I don't know. He was wearing a Russian hat. Right. He was wearing a coat. I, I, I don't. You know, right. I don't, I don't, Didn't I don't get a look at him. I don't remember. Yeah. They took out Bellotti and they took out Castellano. Oh wow. Of course, John Gotti and uh, Sammy Bull Gravano, uh, a rising member of the family who later on became the underboss of the family, mm-hmm. and who later on. Very famously in 1990, flipped on Gotti, and that's what finally got him in prison. Oh wow! Uh, but uh, they were waiting down the street, uh, watching the whole thing to just make sure. And there was another hit squad as well down the street on the other side, just in case somehow the car got away. Wow! Because this they they had to take him out. If this hit had failed, well, then Gotti and all his men would have been dead. Because Castellano had too much power. He very much had too much power, yes. And once again, these guys are in the same family. These guys are in the same family, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, of course, uh, you might ask yourself, well, hang on a second. Isn't there an organized crime commission comprised of the five bosses of, like, the, of the five families? By commission, you mean like a kind of union? 
no, no, no. I, I, it's a ruling. It's it's like a board of directors for the mm-hmm. Okay. And a commission is comprised of the heads of the five families. Uh-huh. Well, you cannot whack a boss of the commission unless a majority of the commission approves the whacking of that boss. Wow. And so you might think to yourself, well, hang on a second. How did, did Gaudi get away with this? Well, a few months later, of course, uh, the head of the Genovese family, Vincent de Cin Gigante, very, very famous gangster, one of my favorite gangsters of all time. Okay. He was just known as de Chin. By the way, his street rule uh, was that you could never, ever say his name. Even other families couldn't say his name. You could only touch your chin. Oh, interesting. Keep his name out of your mouth. Yes. He was also known as the Odd Father, and he would walk down the street in uh, bathrobes because he pretended for over 30 years that he had psychiatric issues. Wow. Uh, and But in fact, he was head of uh, the Genovese crime family. Interesting. Uh, but uh, he was furious. He was furious. Uh, the same thing uh, with uh, Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo, the head of the Lucchese crime family. And oh, so wow. they organized a hit on Gotti. Okay. And so outside of a social club uh, in Brooklyn, in Bensonhurst. Okay. Uh, Gotti uh, was uh, there uh, inside. Mm-hmm. And uh, a man uh, walked into the car and another guy and another driver as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the car exploded, right? They blew up the car. But it turned out that the guy who got into the car wasn't John Gotti, but he looked very, very similar to John Gotti. It's like the opening of Casino. H- however, he was, uh, well, in this case, they they died. Right. right. Like the, car, the car exploded. Right. Uh, but uh, what they, but the person who looked like John Gotti was actually the consigliere of the family, the one who had set up the meeting with Big Paul, okay. and so effectively the families decided to call it tete a tete, and quash it. That was sort of that in the sense of one for one. If you oh, will. okay. So they still right? got someone who was involved. Yes, they still not, got someone who was deeply, right. deeply involved. Hmm. And uh, the man that that man's name was Frank uh, the Frank the uh, Chico. Chico. So, so really, it's the. I mean, all this stuff we can follow up on, and we can have our own episodes on, and I'm probably. Oh, of course, of course, and we should talk about the whole history of the Gambino crime family. Oh uh, yeah, this is this this episode is really kind of our like, you know, this is our starter plate. Welcome to uh, a little mob starter plate. Um, We're gonna do a kind of a around the entire just just touch on every little aspect we can and of then course of we course kind of come back into larger or more focus more uh, detail of and, course and we can certainly stuff. talk about canadian organized crime too i'm also interested in that as well definitely and, and a lot of that's uh, i've studied a lot about Montreal. the bikers we can talk about a lot about the bikers but um for for today um i'm interested in kind of getting this broad scale sense that we can reference when we go into more detail and kind of being like what are the major milestones and that sort of thing so we're saying for sure once uh, once hoover retired uh and then the fbi didn't have its one hand held high kind of tied behind its back they yes. were able to really yes. kick into high gear yes and uh they were able to get a lot of evidence and they, they started flipping people is that uh they started flipping some people but a lot of this was based on wiretap evidence okay at the time a lot of people stood by omerta mm-hmm. like the code of silence yeah however in terms of people flipping, it was really drugs. It was really drugs that you could that you could say behind the FBI, 
is what brought down these crime families because of because they were on drugs or because uh because they were because many mafia members uh were involved in trafficking drugs and uh-huh. at the time and even still today you can get 20 years right for trafficking a couple of kilos right much more so than like, anything else and it's much more than anything else so it's not like these are old racketeering charges where you might get four or five years in prison mm. now you're facing 30 years in prison mm. you're gonna flip Right. So it wasn't just a stint that you can uh, kind of live through. Your family will be taken care of. You come back. No, no, no. Like, like here, we're, here we're talking about sometimes life sentences. Destroying your life. Yes. When it, when it came to drug dealing. Like drug dealing was a major, major factor. So you need to be a lot, need to be willing to, to go through a lot more and, and give up a lot more if you're going to stay silent. And a lot of people obviously weren't willing to stay silent. No, no. So you saw a combination of... Uh, the FBI cracking down in terms of wiretaps, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and also uh, getting a lot more informers, and uh, those informers primarily were drug traffickers. So they used the drug traffickers to get to the mob. Sure. Interesting. Sure. Uh, there was the famous commission case. Uh, the lead prosecutor was uh, one Rudy Giuliani in <laughs> 1985. This is where they were able to prosecute uh, the heads of uh, of the five crime families. Mm-hmm. Except uh, what my favorite part of the story is that uh, one of them wasn't the head of the crime family. And, of course, that was the Genoveses, as I said, the Rolls-Royce of crime. I was a stooge. Because they operated for decades with what was called a front boss. Yeah. Someone who was seen to be the boss. Uh Uh-huh. And that was Fat Tony Salerno. Okay. But the real boss was Vincent de Cingigante. And so during the commission case, they were prosecuting Fat Tony Salerno as if he was head right. of the Genovese crime family, but he actually wasn't. He was just a a stooge. I wouldn't call him a stooge. Like he was still a powerful member of organized crime, right. but I mean he wasn't the one making the top decisions. He was and, the voice of God, not uh, the man himself. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yes. He's a clever, and and this is why also the mob is so difficult to actually exterminate because. You can have these kind of people standing in for other people and claiming that it wasn't actually this guy. Well, well, well that, that, that's, that's certainly the case. But the mob today, one of the major problems is uh, recruitment, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that, you know, in the 30s, in the, like in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? I mean, you know, let's yeah. say there's an Italian neighborhood. Right. Gangsters driving down the street in these, you know, Cadillacs, right, wearing, you know, big pinky, uh, you know, ring Rings. fingers and all that sort of stuff. Nice and so, suits. And so kids would look up to them being like, wow, like, you know, this is who I want to be. Right. But then, you know, as time progressed, right. Uh, There's also poverty, right? These kids are living in poverty. Yes. The Italians yeah, were yes. poor. But, but, but as time progressed and as the community developed more capital, mm-hmm. now kids are going to law school. Now kids right. are becoming doctors. Right. So they don't have the same kind of uh, they don't have the same kind of quality members that they used to have. That's like, interesting. Like, like a lot of these guys are just aren't uh, aren't up to par. Like they're more just. So the mob really requires uh, a talent pool of desperate people. Yes, yes. Uh, which they don't currently, which they don't currently have. No. At least within the Italian ethnic community. Yes, uh, and and the FBI also uh, again keeps a very close watch on these families, and there are so many rats. Like everyone's a rat these days, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
in 2005, uh, the uh, Joe Messino, the head of the banana crime family, mm-hmm. the boss, flipped. This was the first time ever a boss of a crime family flipped. That's crazy. Because uh, he was worried about getting the death penalty. How old was he? I think in his late 50s, 60s. Oh, he wasn't super old. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, he decided to testify for the government against, like, everyone else in the family. Jeez. Uh, so, you know, like, it, it's it's just a different era today. You can't trust anybody, and you never know who's an informant or not. That's what Trump keeps saying, you know? No one's loyal. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, killers, liars, and thieves, yeah, who's really trustable? Hmm. And so this is also an interesting, um, uh, kind of an interesting reason as to why something like the Italian or the the um, you're saying the Mexican mob is so powerful. I mean, there's if you look at what you were just talking about recruitment and uh, finding a bunch of desperate people who are ethnically like you who maybe are are trapped in poverty. Sure. And this is one of the few options. Uh, they're one of the biggest prison gangs in, in the United States. Really? Uh, yes. And, and their reach is, uh, extends way beyond uh, just prisons. Way beyond. Hmm. Certainly in California, they're the most powerful organized crime group. Right. And throughout the South. Interesting. But they're not as uh, romanticized as the Italian mob, I guess. They're not as romanticized as what the Italian mob used to be. There you go. Today, the Italian mob is not what it used to be, frankly. What would you describe it as today? I would say it's been relegated to sophisticated street gangs, effectively, at this point. Yeah? Yes. You wouldn't say it's almost become, like, kind of corporatized? Well, 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 look, look, I mean, like, they don't have the political connections that they used to have. Mm -hmm. They don't have the connections with the cops that they used to have. They used to be legitimized. Like, during the Prohibition, the idea was that, you know, it's like they're dealing with all these politicians and police officers and, you know, becoming friends with them and making deals. Right. Because everybody liked to drink. Mm-hmm. Or you, like, and so you, you don't you don't see that today. Well, there's also blackmail and extortion like, and sure, sure, bribery but, as well. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you have to – there are cases like that. Mm-hmm. But most people won't risk their government-paid job to take a bribe to do something small. Right. Uh, and so, you know, the Italian mafia is not what it was, but it still very much exists. Hmm. It still very much exists. Okay. All, like all the five crime families are still in existence. Uh, but, um, they don't have the kind of, again, political and police connections that they used to have, mm-hmm. which really was the basis of their power. Right. That's it, what let them operate with impunity. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Uh, and again, the the only family that really is uh, still operating out there in a powerful fashion is uh, the Genovese family, okay. wh- which was Luciano's family. So, like you know, strong lineage, like the best lineage. Yes, <laughs> it's the only one that hasn't been destroyed by informants. That's incredible. That's an incredible little tidbit. Yeah, there's only about three or four main members who've ever flipped in that family. Okay, as compared to. Dozens and hundreds in the other families. Wow, and and is there a connection between the American Italian mob and the Canadian? 
Uh, there's absolutely a connection, certainly, certainly. Are they different families, or is it kind of extension? Uh, well, in terms of drug trafficking, uh, a huge amount of drugs flow through the Port of Montreal. Right. Right, so I mean, like, the Rizzuto crime family, which is effectively sort of no more at this point. I mean, Montreal is a, a war zone in terms of who's controlling organized crime there. Currently? Yes. Okay. Uh, but... Um, the Port of Montreal is still a major uh, a major entrance zone for drugs uh, mm -hmm. entering North America, right? And uh, those drugs go down to New York and uh, the the East Coast, right? But so the Rizzutos, they they were a powerful family, and I mean, there's a Netflix show right now actually, um, which it's not on. I don't know if it was originally Netflix, but it's a Canadian show about. Oh, yes, yes. Wholly, wholly inaccurate. I, I saw the show. Right. I enjoyed it just because, uh, you know, it's, you know. It was, it's a fun it, it, look it, at it, Canadian it, mobsters. It, it, well, it was fun because it was Canada, you know. Like, it yeah. shows Montreal. It shows, you know, uh, the Charbonneau Commission, we all remember from a few years back. Mm. Right? Like, you know, so, like, it was it was kind of fun to watch, but wholly unrealistic. Like, it's simply just not what, what happened there. Okay. So we'll have to come back to that as well on another. We'll definitely have to come back to that because that because that's frankly a much longer story in terms of the Montreal Mafia War, which was the, the biggest mafia war that Canada has ever seen. Wow! But and that was only in the what was it like recently? This like has been since two thousand nine. Very recently, when Nicola Rizzuto Jr. Vito's son was uh, murdered outside his home in NDG. I remember reading that headline when I was at. Uh, law school and i was like and i actually dropped the paper i was like holy shit i was like i've never seen anything like this because i've seen old headlines right of famous mobsters getting killed this was you inside know, their house that's a big deal this is the son of the most powerful wow gangster in the country right and the show had references like they they kind of fictionalized all the events around it but they had some of the big moments um like i think they had something like that in their show no uh, there were, there were elements of the show that were based off of real life. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like in terms of Vito going off to a U.S. prison, mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, for racketeering, uh, because he was one of the hitters and one of the most famous, uh, I keep saying his most famous, <laughs> but, but one of the most famous mob, uh, killings of all time, which was, uh, in 1981, the killing of the three banana captains. If you ever seen the movie Donnie Brasco, uh, that was portrayed. Okay. There. That's that one. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Wow. But Donnie Brasco is not realistic. Vito Rizzuto was one of the hitters. Okay. Yeah, Donnie Brasco was like, uh, it was fun. It was interesting. There's some good moments. Uh, oh. How did you think about it? Uh, well, personally, I think it was an excellent film. Mm -hmm. uh, it was not uh, entirely historically accurate, but right. it was overall an excellent film. Uh, Johnny Depp had a great performance. It was actually a really great sure, yeah. performance. Al Pacino was good too. Yeah, uh, I would call that uh, a win, a very good mob movie. But at the end of the day, I mean, isn't it still a bit, arguably dangerous, if not just entirely callous and uncompassionate, to make a mob film that's too real, too accurate? Because there are still not just not just the mobsters themselves who are alive or their friends, but there's family members, there's people who become legitimized, there's descendants. I mean, this is. Well, I mean, like they didn't name very many names uh, in the in the movie. Right? Well, I'm saying in general, in terms of these mob movies, um, or this mob, like the 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 Canadian show, for example, about uh, the Italian, or the the mob, the Montreal mob. I mean, 
Well, they they, they didn't use the real. They didn't really mm-hmm. use real names except for Vito Rizzuto. Okay. Like like say the main character Declan, there is no Declan. Right. He's a fictional. He's entirely fictional creation. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. But it is. I mean, it, I guess it's it's easy to it's easy to demonize. He was, he, he was based off a gangster named Renal Desjardins, who was a Frenchman. Uh, who was a Frenchman, yes, but he was very, very close to uh, Vito Rizzuto and uh, served his time in prison 13 years after a uh, hashish bust. Wow. And uh, he uh, did conspire uh, with uh, the boss of uh, the Bonanno crime family who had been uh, deported to Canada Okay. Uh, to take out the Rizzuto crime family. They eventually had a falling out. And... Um, the uh, acting head of the Banano crime family tried to have Desjardins killed, mm-hmm. and Desjardins retaliated by killing him. Okay, this guy is not to be messed with. No, no, but he's in prison right now for murder. That would make sense. For conspiracy to commit murder. Okay. Wow. I think this is an incredible overview. We've gone over an hour at this point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it was a good show. Yeah, thank you, Simon. This was good, and we're going to come back. Well, thank you, uh, Gordon. I think we have a couple of series now that we can kind of delve into. We have the the uh, war history uh, stuff that we can look into, and then we of have course. this entire mine of um, American crime history. And certainly, and, and we can talk about current mobs. events. We can talk about whatever the audience wants. That's true. So please write in, leave comments, uh, subscribe, five stars, all that wonderful. I stuff. I check my mailbox every day. Please write in letters. Do you want to give your email? Oh, oh, publicly? <laughs> oh, it's just my name, simon.churnin at uh, gmail.com. Okay, wow. So please write Simon so if you have any if suggestions. If anybody has any suggestions for topics for the show, uh, we would we would love to hear them. Uh, we would, actually. Yeah. That'd uh, be great. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, until next time, thank you one and all for watching, even if it is just that one person. <laughs> I'm trying to make up a kind of like a tagline. I don't know if I like it yet, but uh, I've done it a few times. So you know, I'll stick with it for now. Well, I think it's a good one. Cheers. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Excellent. Simon. <laughs> all right. Bye. So that was Simon Chernin with Mob Talk. I guess the first of hopefully many future versions and episodes. My name again is Koi, and thanks so much for listening all the way through. Uh, if you want to contact Simon, he gave his email just there at the end. And please, please, please share, subscribe, tell your friends, use your social media, drop those five stars. And we'll be coming back next time on The Annex.